1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, up to and including chapter 2, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Today we're going to be using a word that is perhaps not as attractive as the word that we saw last week. Last week we saw that the people of God is a hopeful people. And hope is certainly a very attractive word. Today we're going to be using another word that perhaps is not so appealing at first glance, and that's the word holy. So a hopeful people, and now we see that the people of God is a holy people. But how do we find the word holy in common speech? Usually we find it in expressions of surprise, things like holy cow and holy moly. And uh, I haven't heard this lately, but it used to be Holy Toledo, uh, Holy Smoke. And then there's some others that are more vulgar that I won't mention, but that's the context in which we hear the word holy. There's also another context, uh, and that is the most cited phrase of the Bible. And that most cited phrase of the Bible is holier than thou. That does come from the Bible. But it's a very common expression, but it's a negative one. It's something that we don't want to be. And it's something that people use to put others down. It's very common in speech. It comes from Isaiah 65. And it is used correctly by most people because it's describing people whose lives are terrible. But they say, hey, don't come near me because I am holier than thou. But that's come into our common speech. But holiness is not that attractive, not like hope. Uh, Some presidents in recent memory have won the election basing their campaign on hope. Uh, Can you imagine how it would have been if uh, Bill Clinton would have expressed that 
the, uh, as a big deal and as a selling point that he came from holiness, Arkansas? It just wouldn't have had the same appeal, would it? But he came from where? Hope, Arkansas. And then more recently, uh, a, a presidential candidate wrote a best-selling book called The Audacity of Hope. And two years later, he was elected to the presidency. But would it have had the same appeal if he had written a book called The Audacity of Holiness? Probably not. Probably would not have been a bestseller or helped him gain the presidency. So it's not a word that is appreciated or even a positive word in our society. So how can we appreciate this? Well, by looking at how Peter presents holiness. And seeing, I hope you will see as we go through this, that is a very attractive and appealing description after all. Now, first of all, let's let's start with definitions. Holiness. What is holiness in the Bible? It has two meanings in the Bible. There is its basic meaning, which is set apart. So a holy people is a people that God has set apart for himself. But then it has another meaning that's derivative of that, and that is that having been set apart, we live our lives in a different way. So it's a, an identity of God setting his people apart, but then it's also, then how do we live if we are the set apart people of God, living according to his standards? And before we get into the text, I'd like to, to, to lay out three common options or three possible options thinking about holiness. Because most people who believe in God, which is most of the world, have this idea that holiness is something that we need to produce in order for God to be happy with us. So they look at holiness as our gift to God, our effort by which we scale the ladder so that we can lay hold of God's favor and God's God's forgiveness or God's acceptance or whatever it might be. That's the, the, the standard default idea of humanity. And most religions are set up this way with a list of holiness standards that if you can keep these holiness standards, then God will be happy with you. To use a term to describe salvation by law-keeping or salvation by obedience, uh, the word that we could use is legalistic. Uh, Legalism is not simply obedience, but it's obedience for the purpose of gaining God's favor, gaining salvation. Now, what does this belief system do? This belief system tends to produce in us either crushing despair because we haven't met the standards or it produces in us a holier-than-thou attitude, doesn't it? Because we think we have kept the standard, but you haven't. So this is a, a roller coaster sort of system that keeps us on highs and lows alternately. That's one system. There is another system on the other extreme of those who think God accepts us. Not on the basis of our holiness. He simply accepts us, uh, maybe because that's just how he is, or that's his job, that's what he does. He just accepts us, probably accepts everybody. And then the conclusion from that is, it doesn't matter how we live. He just simply accepts us, so, so holiness simply doesn't matter. We could call this system a licentious system. What's a license? A license is something that gives us permission to engage in some activity. Right? We have a license as a church to worship in Pompano Beach. I have a driver's license that enables me to use a motor vehicle. If you are uh, professional or, or, or tradespeople, you probably have licenses to practice whatever it is that you do. And that's how this system works. That God's favor, he gives it to us, not on the basis of how we are, but that's just a license to go do 
whatever we want. So that's the opposite extreme. Christianity is different from both of these systems. Christianity says this, God does accept us on the basis of something other than our personal holiness. And we will see what that is in just a minute. And so, therefore, we should strive in our lives to practice personal holiness. So it, it, it takes a piece of each of these other systems. It says, it is true that God does accept us not on the basis of our performance. But then it also says, our behavior does matter. How we live our lives is important. And because He accepts us on the basis of something else, that is a reason to live in a holy way. Now, this chapter, or this section of this chapter, begins with, what's the first word in verse 13? What is it? Therefore. 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 And so, it's a pivot point in the argument. It's saying, in light of what we have just seen... Therefore, I'm going to explain to you the consequences. And if you will look from verses 1 to 12, you will not find a single command. You will not find a single instruction. All you will find in verses 1 to 12 are are what God has done for us. That He has elected us, that He has set us apart, that He has sprinkled us with the blood of Christ to cleanse us, that He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, that He has given us an inheritance, that He has given us a salvation, that He is testing our faith, uh, and that He has placed us in the best seats possible so we can appreciate what He is doing throughout the ages, understanding what Christ has done. He's done that for us. If we are in Christ, if we are believers in Him. And then... Peter says, therefore. And now in this section, it's a very different tone. In this section, we have five commands. uh, Five things to do. And they all come under this, this heading of holiness. So we're going to look at these five things he tells us to do in order to understand what holiness really looks like. In verse 13, the first command is hope. And then in verse 15, be holy. And then in verse 17, live your lives. And then in verse 22, love. And then in verse 2 of chapter 2, long for. So let's look at these. Hope, be holy, live your lives, love, long for. Continuing the theme of hope that we saw last week, he says this is the first part of holiness. It's what we already saw last week. Hopeful people, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those of you who have been here will recall that Peter was writing to exiled people, people who were not in their homeland, Christians who were dispersed throughout northern Asia Minor, which is Turkey. They were foreigners, they were immigrants, and they were having to be very careful about their situation because there were people opposed to them. And he was saying to them, I can't guarantee... guarantee to you that your situation will get better. But even if it doesn't get better, you have a reason for hope because of what is going to happen at the end of the ages. And it will happen in a little while, so just hold on and keep on hoping. But he uses two images here to say how we can get ready to hope. The first one is, it says, prepare your minds for action. This is, gird up the loins of your mind. This was an image from the day when the men and women, but the men would wear long robes. 
Uh, but that's hard to work like that, isn't it? It's hard to run like that. It's hard to go into battle like that. So the men would reach down and they would pick up uh, their skirts and they would take them and they would basically tuck them into their belt. And what did they have then? Shorts. Baggy shorts. And we all know that it's a lot easier to be active when we have shorts on than, well, the guys, we don't wear long flowing skirts anymore, but the women could tell us that that's not the best attire for running. And that's the first image. So, taking our minds and, and girding them up, belting them up, getting them ready for action. And the second is being sober. Sober. And here he uses an image from the contrast between drunkenness and soberness. He's saying, in your mind, keep your five senses, keep your wits about you. So, be ready for battle, be ready for action, and be sober. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Once again saying, our hope is not what is going to happen here and now. Our hope is what is surely going to happen at the end of the ages, no matter what happens to us now. That's the first instruction. That's the first part of holiness. The second is this. We need to show our family likeness in verses 14 and following. He's already told us back in verse 3 that we have been born again, and now he says we have been born into a certain type of family. And here in verse 14 he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed or molded or squeezed into the, to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your Conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now what Peter is doing here, and he does this throughout, throughout the letter, uh, he's taking verses from the Old Testament, and he's applying them, applying these verses to New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. The scholars continue to debate, were the original readers Jews or Gentiles? And I go back and forth, I'm not really sure, but if you would ask Peter, I think he would say, it doesn't matter. Because he's taking the Old Testament verses and he's applying them to New Testament believers, whether the New Testament believers have Jewish background or non-Jewish background. He's saying, we are the heirs of these commands and these promises. But he says here that this call to holiness uh, is based on, from the Old Testament, verse uh, 16 of chapter 2 of Leviticus. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, if we go back to Leviticus, we find that holiness had to do with rituals and ceremonies. Being ceremonially clean and offering the right sacrifices and doing the right type of cleansings and so on. They tended to be external sort of things that you had to do in order to be ceremonially holy. But Peter says that's not how it is anymore. Now it has to do with how we live our daily lives. Now it's not just a matter of rituals. Now it's a matter of daily living. And being holy, he says has a negative component, that is something that we should avoid, and it also has a positive component, that which we should do. What's the negative one? If you look at verse 14, he says, as obedient children, to not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He says, don't continue to live like you used to live when you didn't know anything about God. You had unbridled passions, uncontrolled passions. Don't, don't keep living like that. And then later, he describes that more. If you go down to verse 18, 
It talks about here knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And then if you go down to verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, he spells it out. What are some of those, those ways of ignorance, some of those feudal ways that we have received from our forefathers and foremothers? He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, So put away all malice, ill will towards others, all deceit, lying, deception, hypocrisy, saying one thing, doing another, Envy, looking at what other people have and, and having an inordinate desire for what they have and an unpleasant feeling if they have more than you do. Slander, saying ill things about other people. He gives us an example of some of those futile ways. And we know how that is, don't we? We know that, that some of these things are passed on from generation to generation in families. And we, I think, probably look at some things in our lives and say, from where did this come? And we can just look at our family history and find that some of these things have been passed down from generation to generation in our family history. We know that that certain vices and tendencies and habits get passed down from one generation to the next. But Peter says, no, we can we can make a break with that in our generation. It doesn't have to go on like that. No matter how... Uh, our forebears have been, and no matter what futile ways and self-destructive ways they've passed on to us, we can we can make a break with that. We don't have to be squeezed into those molds. We may have the same last name, we may have the same heritage, but now we have been born into a new family with a new name and a new heritage. So we don't have to be squeezed like that anymore. That's the that's the what to avoid part. But then the positive part, he says this, but. Verse 15, as He who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. In all your conduct. That's, that's the positive part. In everything we do. Everything. In our working, in our relaxing, in our conversing, in our playing, in our texting, in our Facebooking, in our studying, in our making money, in our spending money, in our saving money. Whatever we might be doing. Whatever we might be doing. He says... Our call is to holiness in every aspect of our conduct. Now, he says also that we should remember that we're exiles. In verse 17, do you remember that from the very first, those of you who are here? How did he call us? The first identity of the the people of God is exiled people. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. And here he comes back to that exile That exile idea. He says, how should we live if we are exiled people? Well, we should remember that we're in exile and we should be fearful. By the way, uh, I know there are immigrants who commit all sorts of atrocities, but I lived as an immigrant for 24 years in another country, and I know that there is a fear factor. We do not want to fall, fall afoul of the law when we're in another country. And so there is a motivating factor there when we are exiles living in a land that is not our own. And Peter says that's what we all are. He says we need to be especially careful, especially vigilant about how we live. We are exiles. And he says there is a judge who judges everyone impartially. But look how he calls that judge in verse 17. And what do we call that judge? We call him Father. And so this is not a cringing, terrified fear of God. It is remembering that the judge who sits upon the throne is our Father. And as we walk in a foreign land, 
we walk carefully, we walk with reverence, and we walk uh, as those who do not belong here but belong to another family. And one day we'll be being called home to that family. Now, the reason, the reason, and here you see what I explained at the beginning. The reason for this call to holiness is precisely because God accepts us not on the basis of our holiness. Look how he makes this argument. Verse 18. So he says, conduct yourself in holiness in all your behavior. Verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see how this argument works? He says, precisely because you were ransomed, that is to say you were rescued with the paying of a price, and you were ransomed not with a a cheap price that would not have been sufficient to ransom a human being. You weren't weren't ransomed with trivial, uh, worthless sort of things like gold or silver. You were ransomed with the ultimate price. The price that was paid for our rescue was the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And once again, Peter's invoking Old Testament imagery. When lambs were sacrificed for the sins of the people, but they had to be sacrificed over and over and over and over and over again, century after century after century, until the Lamb of God came who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, because of that, and then he says, and he raised him from the dead, because you were redeemed, because you were ransomed, because you were rescued with that price, a price of the Son of God who died in our place and was raised from the dead, because the price is so high, therefore live as holy people. And he emphasizes here, this is the third time he says uh, that we are, or the second time he talks about something that is, that is, uh, that is imperishable. He talked about our inheritance that was imperishable. And now he talks about uh, that the precious blood of Christ in contrast with the perishable things, it's imperishable. And he also says that not only were God's people foreknown before the foundation of the world, it describes Christ as the foreknown one. It called us the foreknown ones in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God. And now it says that Christ was foreknown. And now we see that we were foreknown in the plan of God in which Christ was foreknown as the one who would come and pay the price for all of God's people. That's the reason. That's the reason. And that's why Christianity is not legalism. We're redeemed not by our efforts. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ and His resurrection. And that's why Christianity is not licentiousness. It's not just a license to go out and do whatever we want because of the high price that was paid for our lives. But I want you to see something. Normally when we talk about the redemption that Christ accomplished for us, we're thinking about the guilt of our sin. And that's, that's right. We're thinking about that, that God took away the guilt of our sin, that we're no longer guilty before Him. But here the emphasis is not so much on the guilt of our sin. The emphasis on the power that sin exercised in our lives, our lifestyles. From what are we redeemed here? Look at verse 18. Knowing that you are ransomed from what? From the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers 
with the precious blood of Christ. Christ gave His blood to do what? To rescue us from our lifestyles. To rescue us from the ways we used to live. And now, if this holiness idea still seems vague, we're going to land in something very, very concrete. In verse 22. Because he goes on and says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, and here's another command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Do you see how he loves this idea? This contrast between perishable and imperishable. You don't have a perishable inheritance, you have an imperishable inheritance. You weren't redeemed by perishable things, you were redeemed by the imperishable price. And now he says, you... You were born again, not by a perishable seed, but by the imperishable seed, which is the living and abiding Word of God. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, Isaiah, All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Imperishable. But what's the command here? What's holiness look like here? He says, Since you have purified yourself for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly. Or love one another entirely. Now that's a bit more concrete, right? That's something that we can do day after day in all our behavior because in everything we do, we interact with other human beings. All the time. We interact with husbands or wives. We interact with parents or children. We interact with neighbors. We interact with classmates and employees and employers. We interact with people driving on the street or in the grocery line or in the bank. We interact with people all the time. And God is placing before us opportunities to express holiness by doing what? By loving them. So what does holiness include? Treating others with love, which includes things like kindness, gentleness, Fairness, genuine concern, patience, generosity, forgiveness. That's all part of what it means to be holy. And then the final command. The final command is to keep going, to keep growing. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, we already saw, putting away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so, what's the final command? It's to long for. What do newborns do? Newborns, naturally, they don't have to acquire the taste. They naturally want to drink their mother's milk. They know that somehow. It's built in. They long for it almost from the time they're born. And he uses that image and says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, adults were different, right? We long for things that we've tasted and that we have found to be good. And he says, I'll give you that. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, then long for the Lord. If you've already gotten a taste, you, you've acquired that taste, you've discovered that the Lord is good. Has anybody here discovered that the Lord is good? Okay. We have that taste in our mouths. And he says, then, then keep longing. For the Lord. Now, there is some debate about what he means here by the pure spiritual milk. Uh, it's, uh, spiritual is a word that appears only here, and in Romans 12, it's not a common word. Sometimes it's translated reasonable or logical. Some people think it has to do with the Word of God. But a simple explanation is simply that we should long for that which we have tasted, 
And he tells us what we have tasted. We have tasted the goodness of the Lord. And so long for the Lord. Long for the goodness of the Lord. So, what does holiness look, look like from this picture that we've, we've seen here in First in Peter? Well, holiness looks like hope. Holiness looks like clear-mindedness. Holiness looks like self-control. Holiness looks like love. Holiness looks like freedom from bad habits. And holiness looks like longing for God. So it turns out that holiness is actually a very attractive idea after all, isn't it? How many would like to have self-control and clear thinking and, uh, and love and uh, freedom from bad habits? That's, that's what holiness is about. And it's very attractive indeed. And it's attractive in two senses. It's attractive to us as the best way for us to live. But it is also attractive to others. And I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler here because Peter's going to get to this later. Not just the effect in us, but the effect around us and in other people. But it's attractive to other people as well. As they see things in our lives that they don't find in their own and they don't find in general in the world. And they ask the question, from where did that come? And then we have the answer to say, Certainly didn't come from me. You know what I produced? I produced and carried on these futile ways that I received from the past. I was great at that. And so if you see any of this in me, it came from the Lord who is good. For Christmas, our brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, well, Sandy's brother-in-law too, Sandy's wife's husband, gave us a stack of books. He's a fan of Lee Strobel. Now, I haven't read any of the books. Sandy just started to read these books. But it's an interesting, uh, an interesting man because he was a, a journalist and he was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune for like 14 years and won awards as a, as a writer and so on. And he was an atheist and his wife was an agnostic. And things were going quite well for them in their professional life and he was gaining awards and honor and so on. But then something messed up the course of their lives, or I shouldn't say messed up, but changed it dramatically. His formerly agnostic wife became a Christian. And he thought this was, of course, foolishness, error on her part. But something was nagging him about his wife. And that was the beautiful change that he saw in her life. And so he said, okay, I'm an investigative journalist. I'm going to look into this. I'm going to try to get to the bottom of this. Why is my wife better? Why is her life so beautiful? Why has she been transformed for the good? If this is, if this is an illusion, if this is, if this is false, fake, then, then why is this happening? I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it. And he did. And he started investigating Christianity. And he himself then was compelled by what he found about the truth of Christianity. But I want you to see something. He's written these books, and these are books that are presenting arguments in favor of the Creator, in favor of Christ, in favor of grace, and so on. But it's interesting that he didn't start with arguments, did he? He he ended up with, with powerful arguments, but he started with a changed life that he himself was able to observe close up. Our mission as Florida Coast Church is to reach people with the good news that has been preached to us. And we are trying to do that in many different ways, but one of the main ways 
that we are going to be able to take this good news to others is if they can see the beauty of holiness in our lives. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You that You have called Your people to be a, an elect exile people. That You have called Your people to be a hopeful people. And now we find that You have called Your people to be a holy people. We thank You that You have set apart Your people so that we might be Your own and so that we might live in a way that declares Your praises. And we do pray, O oh God, that these things would be seen in us, that people would see hope, clear-mindedness, self-control, sincere love, freedom from bad habits, and a deep longing for You, so that they would be compelled to say, from where did these beautiful things come? And we will say they came from the Holy God who gave His own Son for all of us. And we pray in His name. Amen.